Q&A Holes podcast presents The Sea Report with Mr. C for Monday, February 15th, 2021. Good evening, good evening. I hope everyone's doing well on this Monday, February 2021, 20, and the day would be the 15th. I'm sorry, I apologize. Um, but yes, do welcome, 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 welcome to the C Report. <clears throat> this is your host, Mr. C. And again, I do hope you're having a great Monday evening, a great Monday indeed, and you had a good weekend. Uh, slow weekend for news, other than, uh, you know, there was a, a, <clears throat> an acquittal, as would have been predicted, in the House uh, for the impeachment and the Senate for the impeachment trial of President Donald Trump, the second, the second impeachment trial of President Donald Trump to end in acquittal. Of course, we saw this coming. And uh, I mean, come on, seriously, guys, like it was a waste of time. It was a waste of taxpayer money. And for what? Some cheap optics? Because even after uh, the uh, acquittal, we still have the Democrat led impeachment team. Um, Failing to concede the loss of the trial, claiming uh, um, Trump was acquitted only on a technicality. The technicality, of course, probably being that they uh, doctored a lot of their own evidence. So because of the fact that they doctored their own evidence... Trump wins the trial on technicality. He did, in fact, incite a riot based on the evidence shown. But because they doctored, you know, at least a handful of evidence, Trump wins on a technicality. I don't know about you guys, but I wouldn't want a lawyer that doctors evidence representing me. Would you want a lawyer that doctors evidence representing you? And I am definitely speaking to the constituents of the uh, impeachment coup party that uh, wasted taxpayer money and also, along with embarrassing themselves and their constituencies and the country, also, I mean, I would consider that a crime, wouldn't you? Isn't that like something along the lines of perjury when you uh, lie? Well, what about lying about evidence that you submit? Wouldn't doctoring evidence be considered lying about evidence that you submit? I would think that that would be considered lying about evidence that is submitted. I would think that I would think that's a form of perjury or maybe some other technical judicial term. But to the constituents of those who uh, represented the impeachment managers, the team who so sought to viciously impeach a man for something he did not do, for he did not incite this riot, evidence would have shown that he did not incite the riot. But also to do so on an unconstitutional basis, to play games with our constitution. To play games with a sacred document that spells out the rights that we know, but just so that others know that we know these rights are ours. And that's why that document exists on paper. And they went and toy with that. And then they doctor, they make up, they lie about evidence that they use to prosecute a man that has done none of the such in a case that could inevitably have set a precedence for our First Amendment right, our freedom of speech. Do you constituents of the impeachment managers of Donald Trump in 2021 want these people 
to represent you? I know I don't. I think uh, I think Joaquin Castro should be recalled immediately. Recalled and replaced immediately. He is totally embarrassed San Antonio and embarrassed the United States of America, and he needs to be recalled. He is not fit to serve. He is not fit to serve the people whose commands, whose desires, whose will he should be serving instead of whomever it is he's in the pocket of. I mean, I know he's friends with the Rockefeller, but uh, who else is he? Who else is he in the pocket of? What else does he got going on? Come on, come on, y'all, give me a hand out there in podcast land. <laughs> All right, okay. So let's get to some headlines, guys. <clears throat> we'll uh, we'll keep hot on the t- we'll keep hot on the trail of the Trump acquittal. Uh, this report support grows for Capitol riot inquiry after Trump acquittal. Uh, I apologize, this either comes from Newsmax or from the Gateway Pundit. After former President Donald Trump's acquittal at his second Senate impeachment trial, bipartisan support appears to be growing for an independent September 11th-style commission into the deadly insurrection that took place at the U.S. Capitol. Pause. So why are they going to do this? Because we already know, like I said, the Democrat-led impeach uh, impeachment management team is going on and on and on on TV about how they won, but they lost on technicality. So now they want a September 11th-style commission um, opened for this, and we know that Nancy Pelosi had called for this as well. Like, that was probably one of the things that she did almost immediately, but... You know, if they had done that, then they couldn't have had the trial right away. And in my opinion, it's still just because they're trying to keep up this facade of business as usual. And as long as they keep everyone sequestered in the Capitol building um, and they keep everyone uh, focused mainly on... um, you know, having a trial with Trump and everything centralized, they don't have to worry about needing to appear in other places. That's just my theory. But uh, I do believe that the Democrats are on the run, or at least anyone involved in this. Um, Okay, so investigation into the riot were already planned, with Senate hearings scheduled later this month in the Senate Rules Committee. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Democrat of California, has asked retired Army Lieutenant Russell Honore to lead an immediate overview or review of the Capitol's security process. Lawmakers from both parties speaking on Sundays news shows a signal that even more inquiries were likely the senate verdict saturday the senate verdict saturday with its 57 to 43 majority falling ten, failing falling 10 votes short of the two-thirds needed to convict trump hardly put to rest the debate about the republican former president's culpability for the january 6th assault There should be a complete investigation about what happened, said Louisiana Senator Bill Cassidy, one of seven Republicans who voted to convict Trump. What was known, who knew it, and when they knew it, all that, because that builds the basis so this never happens again. Cassidy said he was attempting to hold President Trump accountable and added that as Americans hear all the facts, more folks will move to where I was. He was censored by his state's party after the vote. Pause. So, okay, so here you have this guy, Bill Cassidy, who wants uh, a, who wants a 9-11 commission style, um, like, uh, a, a committee opened. Like, to that, I say, if you want to go ahead and do that, go ahead and do that. But what exactly are they going to be reviewing? Because even the Trump, uh, I mean, I apologize, even the impeachment team, even the impeachment team was like uh, say, trying to use his words that day to um, as evidence that he incited a riot. When they failed to do that, they tried to say that 
over the entire course of his candidacy. No, actually, they said over the entire course of his campaign. What if they say ever since he came down the golden gate, you know, he he came down the golden escalator. He was saying that they were going to incite a riot on January 6th. Like, what if they try and say that? So how far back are you going to go, Bill Cassidy? That's what I want to know. And, and you know, furthermore, if they do review the evidence, I think they will find the evidence increasingly shows that uh, these were other people, not Trump, that did this and that there were other elements involved. And if there are other elements involved, you can't you cannot pin this on Donald Trump for, you know, saying we're going to go to the Capitol and peacefully protest and patriotically show them how you do it in America. Even if you did say he was going to go down there and walk with them. And because he didn't, they tried to say he was a liar. Like, it's like, well, well, if he didn't incite a riot, he lied. Right, Castro? He lied. He's a liar. He is a liar. Just don't forget that. He lied. He he lied. He is a liar. Right, Castro? Right, Castro? Anyways, you need to get your ass back to San Antonio. You need to go to bed. All right. Getting back into the article, an independent commission along the lines of the one that investigated the September 11th attacks would probably require legislation to create that would elevate the investigation a step higher, offering a definitive government-backed accounting of events. Pelosi has expressed support for such a commission while stressing that the members who sit on it would be key. Still, such a panel would pose risks of sharpening partisan divisions or overshadowing President Joe Biden's legislative agenda. There's still more evidence that the American people need and deserve to hear, and a 9-11 commission is a way to make sure that we secure the Capitol going forward, said Senator Chris Coons, Democrat of Delaware, a Biden ally. And that's the way we lay bare the record of just how responsible and how abjectly violating of his constitutional oath President Donald Trump really was. House prosecutors who argued for Trump's conviction of inciting the riots said Sunday they had approved their case. They also railed against the Senate Republicans They also railed against the Senate Republicans Republicans leader Mitch McConnell and, and others who they said were trying to have it both ways in finding the former president not guilty but criticizing him at the same time. A close Trump ally, Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican of South Carolina, voted for acquittal but acknowledged that Trump had some culpability for the siege at the Capitol that killed five people, including a police officer and a disrupted lawmaker certification of Biden's White House victory. Pause. Okay. They need to stop reporting that this police officer died at and because of this siege that happened. That is false. That is inaccurate. Officer Sicknick did not die of head wounds from a fire extinguisher. He was not beaten by Trump supporters. The coroner said he had a stroke. His brother, who spoke to him hours after the siege, said he was doing fine, other than being maced twice. He had pepper spray. He was pepper sprayed twice. Officer Officer Sicknick. His brother reported that he was fine. His brother. His brother. The officer dies of a stroke. The coroner. That is what he reports. The autopsy happens quickly. The autopsy reports are withheld. That's all we know in regard to Officer Sicknick. What we do know, he did not die at or because of a head injury as reported by the news. Now, 
back to the article. Graham said he looked forward to campaigning with Trump in 2022 election when Republicans hope to regain the congressional majority. His behavior after the election was over the top, Graham said. We need a 9-11 commission to find out what happened and make sure it never happens again. The Senate acquitted Trump of a charge of incitement of insurrection, and after House prosecutor prosecutors laid out a case that he was an insider-in-chief who unleashed a mob by stoking a month-long campaign of spreading debunked conspiracy theories and false violent rhetoric that the 2020 election was stolen from him. Period. Now, here's... I'm breaking away from the article again, sorry folks, but here's another thing, you know, like... Joaquin Castro can go up there in the well of the Senate and say, he lied. He's a liar. Trump's a liar. And he's violent and he's racist. And don't forget it. Like, Castro can go up there and say these things. And then he can say, there is no such thing as as, as voter, voter fraud. He can say, he lied. There's no voter. There's, there's no evidence. He's a liar. All of his, all of his trials were thrown out. And I don't know if uh, Joaquin Castro didn't know in his own backyard that a woman was arrested and charged and found guilty. No, actually, she's still going to trial. But I mean, all of the evidence shows she even admitted it on video that she was, um, you know, she was harvesting votes. If he doesn't even know that, maybe he doesn't know that... Uh, Trump did not lose all of his trials. Maybe he doesn't know that there actually is evidence. Maybe Joaquin Castro just doesn't know. And because he doesn't know, he doctored evidence in an impeachment trial against a president of the United States of America. San Antonio, I ask you, do you want that to be your victor? Do you want Joaquin Castro to be your trophy boy? Is that what you want? This guy who goes up there and makes a fool of himself and the country? Who wastes all of your taxpayer money when he's already doing such a bad job in San Antonio? Actually, no, his his district's pretty good, but I think he, he was just given that as it is gerrymandered, it seems. But, um... The rest of San Antonio, there's no excuse for it. There's no excuse. There's no excuse for certain parts of the cities looking the same as they have. And and I mean, no upkeep for over, what, three or four decades? The same cracks in the sidewalks have only gotten worse on the south side of town in San Antonio. No upkeep. Three decades plus. I'm willing to vote five, six decades. That your city managers, your 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 city council, your district leaders and legislators, just they neglect you. For what? There's a lot of money here in San Antonio. There's a lot of dirty people here too. And you have this liar. Joaquin Castro, who doctors, who doctors evidence for a trial of a president on live TV, saying these things. It's ridiculous. It's it's very ridiculous. I'm, um, I, I, it's so ridiculous. I am done. <laughs> I am done with that article. <laughs> and, and, uh, and Senator Graham, good luck with Trump. Like, we'll see, dude. Like, we'll see what's up with you. Like, I wish some people would just lay the skeletons bare, but that's not the hand we're being dealt. But it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. May the disappointments continue. But, you know, even, I mean, people are, people are just fed up with it. People are even, okay, so even, like, uh, two of the next headlines I have are about uh, one of the, the Trump team uh, lawyers 
uh, Michael Vanderveen is his name. Uh, it's the first time I've said it since this entire impeachment ordeal began. And this was a quick trial. Like, it was open and shut case, if you guys didn't notice. It ended on a weekend when everyone was busy doing other things and people in Texas are playing in the snow. Trump is acquitted. And uh, we'll never hear about it again, but we will hear in the news all the wah, wah, wah about the people who are PO'd because, technically speaking, he did incite a riot, but they lied about their evidence. They are liars. Liar, 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 pants on fire. Joaquin's pants are on fire. Anyways, uh, Michael Vanderveen, he was on the news with uh, CBS. <laughs> and... I mean, people are pissed off. Like, you can you believe that they doctored evidence? Like, this is just, this is not acceptable. No, 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 no. Not acceptable. Not acceptable in the slightest. And the newscaster, uh, the newscaster, basically, the, the, the reporter, the, uh, the, the actor who reads the news, um, she downplays she downplays the lie. She downplays the doctored evidence. Uh, just so media knows, all they did was add a blue check mark. All there was was a wrong date on a freaking tweet. All it was was this, and Vanderveen went off on her. He went off on her to the point of almost walking off the interview. Because he was disgusted that here you have the trial of a president and what? Jury, uh, trial lawyers enter, knowingly enter in, doctored, false, knowingly. Why is it important that it's knowingly and how do we know? Take, for example, the tweet of the woman that is not verified by Twitter, meaning she has no blue checkmark. All they had to do was go over to twitter.com, go to her account, take the snipping tool, and clip that out, save it, and then present it to the, uh, the, uh, the, the juror and the American people. Like, that's all he had to do. Whoever did it. I think it was Cicilline, honestly. Cicilline, I don't know. <laughs> I bet these guys were uh, probably having, like, popper parties instead of, like, actually doing their, their homework for this trial. Anyways, so, um, that's all they had to do. That's what I would have done. I would have been like, I'm going to go get this girl's tweet, and I'm going to go clip it, and then I'm going to go to submit it into evidence. That's all they had to do. So how does it prove that it's knowingly done? The woman's profile does not have a blue check mark, which means it is not verified, which means Twitter's never seen her ID, which means she's not important to be influential, even though she probably is. And they added a blue check mark, knowingly added a blue check mark to an account that did not have a blue check mark. Or was it like, oh God, I've got such a headache from all the poppers I did this morning. Did, did, did she have a blue checkmark on her account? Damn it, did we get the wrong one? Ah, just add one just in case. She's a friend of Trump. She's bound to have a blue checkmark. Crazy, huh? So, Vanderveen calls the uh, news reporter actress out. And uh, she, I think, was not really expecting that kind of pushback. But we should all be very upset. Like, every single person on that impeachment team should, by all rights, be removed from office and replaced immediately. And just to wrap up the other headline with Vanderveen... <laughs> it's not funny. This is, I apologize, but you know, his house ends up getting vandalized. His house ends up getting vandalized. They, they uh, have a traitor spray painted on his driveway. How much do you want to bet 
that that was probably one of his like uh like lawyer buddies they're like you traitor like you weren't supposed to help caster and shown damn it vanderbeen you were supposed to traitor <laughs> poor guy that's probably why he blew up that's probably why he blew up at uh the uh the uh, reporter he he probably just found out that his house was vandalized <laughs> and then he has to deal with this woman making light of uh what basically is perjury and lying and uh and 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 something that should not be tolerated from anybody from any party politics withstanding So in light of all of the impeachment melee out there and about with all these people, um, we now have the North Carolina GOP party to vote on whether to censure Burr, (coughs) excuse me, for voting yes on impeaching Trump. This story by Joseph Weber The North Carolina Republican Party is expected to vote Monday on whether to censure Senator Richard Burr for his vote to convict former President Trump in last week's Senate impeachment trial. Burr, who is not seeking re-election, was among seven GOP senators on Saturday to join all 50 chamber Democrats in voting to impeach Trump. The vote failed to get the two-thirds or 67-vote majority needed in the chamber to convict the former president on the charge of inciting an insurrection on January 6th at the U.S. Capitol. Party spokesman Tim Wigington said Sunday that the group's central committee would meet Monday night for the vote, according to the Associated Press. Burr initially initially voted that the trail was unconstitutionality trial was unconstitutionality, but said he would be an impartial juror during the full Senate trial. State GOP Chairman Michael Watley said Burr's vote to convict in a trial that he declared unconstitutional is shocking and disappointing, the wire service also reported. The evidence is compelling that President Trump is guilty of inciting an insurrection against a co-equal branch of government and that the charge rises to the level of high crimes and misdemeanors, Burr said after Saturday's vote. So, yes, you have these people who, and that's why I say, like, a lot of these Republicans are not showing their true colors. Yes, um, you know, there was that, what, historical moment in the previous trial of President Donald Trump where all senators stood united, like, not one single senator voted for the impeachment of Donald Trump. And, I mean, a Republican voted for the impeachment of Donald Trump, like not one single one. And it was like all Republicans united. Yes, this is a historical moment, but they, they, they are not truly there for Donald Trump. Like, and so when you have someone like Burr who voted that the trial was unconstitutional and then goes ahead and de- decides to vote to convict Donald Trump. You just that's just an example of the levers of the pawns moving in and out. Like there's only like what 10 less than 10 actual people in the entire representation that are standing for the American people and fighting for the constitution and fighting for America and for Americans and for the people who are true patriots. Like 8 of them maybe 12 (laughs) uh there's like what uh more than five less than 10 actual people in congress and the senate that are fighting for us (laughs) something like that i don't know more than 10 less than 15 i don't know something like that like it's something like that so Here's here's another here's another one. Now here here's here's the reason why they didn't move forward with the trial. 
<laughs> they didn't move forward with trial witnesses because of all of the, the, the witnesses and the evidence they would have called into trial. Like this, this is something that would have happened if they'd moved forward. They would have embarrassed themselves. They would have found out that Nancy Pelosi and all of the Democrats were taking money from the AFL-CIO and that they uh, schemed with the left um, to make sure that Donald Trump didn't win. And, you know, all of this stuff would just be exposed. But here's another one uh, from the Gateway Pundit. More on Biden's 308,000 ballot drop in Fairfax County, Virginia on election night. This one ballot drop was 73% of Biden votes in the county. So in Fairfax County, Virginia... Biden suddenly gets a spike of 3,000, 308,000 votes. And that is 73% of Biden, Biden's votes in the county from that one drop. That's 73% of the votes. So of all of the votes in the county that he got, 73% come from this drop. That's a pretty dramatic, if you ask me. The article says... The election results in Virginia's Fairfax County were very suspect late election night. There were five ballot drops, each with over 300,000 votes for Biden in and out like a yo-yo, which ended up being 73% of the county's votes for Biden. We've reported since the election of the unreal results in Virginia on election night. We uncovered a pattern that occurred in Virginia as well as in other states that we labeled the drop and roll. Then this week, we found out that the drop in Virginia occurred in Fairfax County. After some more work, we have located the congressional districts that include Fairfax County and their results. This is where more than 300,000 votes were recorded for Biden late that night. There were actually five entries, in and out and in and out and in, netting to more than 308,000 votes for Biden and only 79,000 votes for President Trump, an 80 to 20 ratio. This makes no sense, but here's something interesting according to the official wink wink results. In 2020, Fairfax County, when accounting for Biden and President Trump votes only, Virginia District 8 went 74 to 26 Biden to Trump. Virginia District 10 went 65 to 35 Biden for Trump. And Virginia 11 district went 72-28 Biden to Trump. This is the result after the bulk dump of 308,000 votes that went 80-20 for Biden after the two 90-10 Biden batches were added then removed. This dump of 308,000 represented 73% of all Fairfax County votes for Biden. In 2016, Fairfax County went as follows. Virginia District 8, 68% to 25% Hillary for Trump. Virginia 10, 56 to 37 Hillary for Trump. Virginia 11, 66 to 27, Hillary for Trump. Here are the questions that need to be answered. Where do these 308,080 to 20 votes come from in the Fairfax that were dropped? How could Biden outperform Hillary by such a vast margin in that particular large dump where no district came close to 70-30, much less 80-20? And Virginia District 10 in Fairfax went from a 19-point Hillary margin in 2016 to a 29-point margin for Biden. Really? Hillary won Virginia only by 5% in 2016. Only by 212,000 votes. In this one late night, 80 to 20 vote dump in Fairfax, Biden picked up a margin of 
230,000 votes, more than Hillary's statewide margin in 2016. And in 2016, there was both a libertarian and a never-Trumper, Evan McMillan, that both pulled votes from Trump. Why is no one from Virginia screaming to high heaven, demanding the ballots in this county be forensically reviewed? This is a good question. And so you see, there were a lot of discrepancies like that. Like, the fact that Biden, in this one county, picked up 230,000 votes more than what Hillary picked up statewide in 2016. I don't know. Something smells awfully sniffable. If I were you guys out there in Virginia, I'd be asking for some accountability. This article from the New York Post, House Dems hire ex-gang member to top campaign post. The House Democrats campaign arm has hired an ex-gangster turned high-profile criminal justice advocate for a top leadership position. The Post has learned. The Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, headed by Hudson Valley Area Representative Sean Patrick Maloney, tapped Dijon Tatro, or Dijon Tatro, as a senior advisor for diversity and inclusion. Tatro is known for appearing in the 2019 PBS documentary series College Behind Bars about a group of inmates trying to earn their degrees through New York State's Barred Prison Initiative. Through the program, Tetro got a bachelor's degree while serving a six-year sentence for racketeering conspiracy. At the time of that 2011 conviction, Tetro had already been doing time for shooting two rival gang members in 2006. Described at the time as a trigger man for the original Gangsta Killers street gang that terrorized Albany, Tatro confessed to the shootings and to a razor slashing of another victim in 2002, as well as to dealing drugs. He admitted to making at least $12,000 a month dealing drugs and conspired to traffic more than 50 grams of crack cocaine. Tatro was freed in 2017 and has since become an advocate for increasing educational opportunities for inmates through FBI, BPI. While in the program himself, Tatro was part of a three-inmate debate team from the Eastern New York Correctional Facility in the Catskills that famously defeated the Harvard undergraduate debate team, earning national headlines. Republicans said Tatro's hiring will reinforce criticisms that Democrats are soft on crime. It's certainly on brand for criminal coddling Democrats, but the rest of America will find it disturbing that a murderous gang member is holding a prominent position with the DCCC, said New York State Republican Party Chairman Nick Langworthy. Second chances are one thing, but I would have to question Congressman Maloney's judgment to put someone with such a violent past at the top of their organization. But Maloney and DCCC defended hiring Tatro, whom they consider a turnaround success story and a nationally recognized criminal justice reform advocate. Dijon Dewan is a formerly incarcerated person who has worked hard to change the trajectory of his life through education and service to his community, a DCCC spokesperson said. He has served his time for the crimes he committed and is now a national leader in the bipartisan movement to reform our criminal justice system and bring meaningful improvements to the education system in American prisons. Such critical work breaks cycles of recidivism by making sure more people leave prison with the skills to hold down a job and contribute to their community. 
Tatro, who has worked on Maloney's campaign, said in a statement upon his hiring. This past election cycle has emphasized how electoral politics affects the daily lives of each and every American, as well as the centrality of the African-American vote to winning elections. I am honored to be joining the DCCC to work on a number of issues at the nexus of politics, diversity and equity and inclusion. He added, I want to thank Chairman Sean Patrick Maloney for his commitment to assembling talented and diverse DCCC teams. Well, that's certainly something to think about. Uh, I mean, as they did say, there's one thing uh, to, you know, uh, there's one thing to, uh, you know, laud someone for turning their life around. There's another thing to put them in charge of. Uh, an important uh, role in the city. We'll let you be the one to decide that one, America. But speaking of crooks and criminals and people who deserve to be locked up, Antifa blocks Seattle police from responding to emergencies with a snow barrier. What are those rascally Antifa up to today? Cue the Antifa music. Just kidding, folks. I don't have Antifa music, but maybe at some point in the future, when I say cue the Antifa music, we'll have something rascally and, you know, Looney Tunish to play. So Antifa, you know, they're like, hey, yeah, you know, we're left Antifa. We're still against the cops and uh, we're still against uh, politicians, even though, you know, we would rather have Joe Biden than Trump. Um, they're up there, up there, up to it again. Um, so I guess there was a video posted on Instagram that showed a snow barrier built by protesters outside of the Seattle Police Department's East Precinct. Um, in the video, a caller, a caller claimed Antifa goons blocked the exit of the East Precinct with a pile of snow tonight in an effort to stop vehicles from responding to emergency calls. So now they're just going to go ahead and, uh, you know, endanger their community because these Antifa people feel like, hey, maybe if our community's endangered and they think that the police aren't going to respond to them, come hail, come wind, come snow, come high water... Uh, they'll defund them. I guess that's their plan. Anyways, this article just uh, goes on to give more examples about how Antifa blocked several things. Uh, a full 15-minute long incident um, showed a crowd of roughly a dozen demonstrators interacting with Seattle police. They have nothing better to do. I guess they're like, we're going we're to throw snowballs at them or something. Um, yeah, people who are saying peaceful protest, but, uh, yet here they are not allowing the police officers to do their job. Um, I don't know what's up with these Antifa people. I don't know why these people do these things. I don't know why they decide to go ahead and burn communities and affect their communities. Uh, when the communities are the ones who suffer for the actions that they take, regardless of how they do it, why don't you go and do it? you know some other way like there's got to be some other way to do it antifa there's got to be some other way to uh get these police off the streets and to defund them and still protect your citizens um have you thought that far antifa have you thought as far as what you're going to do when there are no more cops to protect you because someone has uh taken advantage of a down power grid during a snowstorm to break into your house and to um, I don't know. Take your garbage pill, kids. What are you going to do, Antifa? What are you going to do? Let's move over to this article by Zero Hedge. I think this is actually bigger news than Antifa throwing snowballs at the police officers. Grid chaos sparks massive rolling blackouts across Texas. Yes. Yes, I uh, was out late this morning, early this morning, late last night, early this morning. Enjoying a cigarette after I'd been uh, cooped up inside the house keeping warm. And uh, to my surprise, it was snowing. I have never seen it snow. 
And uh, it was snowing. It wasn't flurries, I, I don't think. Um, there was white everywhere. There was already a snowman in the middle of the road. And uh, the, the cars were buried under snow. I'd never seen that. It was quite beautiful. And um, woke up this afternoon, uh, went to go have another cigarette and uh, kind of start tuning into some of the uh, podcasts for the day. Get some news ready. And there it is, that blanket of snow still on the ground. The sun high, high in the sky and a crisp, beautiful day. I don't see any chaos here, but let's see what this article has to say from Zero Hedge. Rolling power outages are in effect across the state of Texas as the polar vortex splits has poured some of the coldest air ever into the central U.S. There are nearly two million Texan customers without power as of Monday morning. Texas Power Grid operator ERCOT warned Sunday of an emergency energy of an energy emergency and threatened ro- rotating outages. By Monday morning, um, ERCOT began rotating outages to reduce demand on electric systems. It continued, traffic lights and other infrastructures may be temporary without power. ERCOT ERCOT officials said outages are expected to last between 15 and 45 minutes. They say blackouts are necessary to maintain the system's reliability. Power demand is expected to remain at record levels through Tuesday as record low temperatures will stay in the region through the week. Every grid operator and every electric company is fighting to restore the power right now, said Bill Magnus, president and chief executive officer of ERCOT. Temperatures across Texas and the central United States are expected to be well below normal through the end of the week. ERCOT officials said outages are expected to last between 15 and 45 minutes. They say blackouts are necessary to maintain the system's reliability. Power demand is expected to remain at record levels through Tuesday as record low temperatures will stay in the region through the week. Every grid operator and every electric company is fighting to restore power right now, said Bill Magnese, president and chief executive officer of ERCOT. Temperature across Texas and central United States are expected to be well below normal through the end of the week. ERCOT's decision to implement rolling power outages comes after we first warned of an imminent grid crisis on Thursday when we reported that Nat gas prices across the Plain states had soared to never-before-seen levels as a result of a brutal polar vortex blast, which cut off Nat gas's supply amid wellhead freeze-offs, cutting production receipts just when customers demand for heating most needed them. By Friday, frigid temperatures caused equipment failures, temporarily a temporarily shut down and at least four nat gas plants. Over the last 24 hours, hundreds of daily records for cold temperatures were broken as Arctic air pushed all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. We would expect to be in an emergency operations tomorrow through at least Tuesday morning, said Dan Woodfin, a senior director at ERCOT. On Monday morning, ERCOT wholesale electricity prices for delivery surpassed the grid's price cap of $9,000 per megawatt hour, many multiples over the average cost of $25 per megawatt hour. President Joe Biden signed an emergency disaster order for Texas on Sunday. The president's action authorizes... The Department of Homeland Security, Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, to coordinate all disaster relief efforts which have the purpose of alleviating the hardship and suffering caused by the emergency on the local populations and to provide assistance appropriately for required emergency measures authorized under Title V of the Stafford Act to save lives and to protect property and public health and safety and to lessen or avert the threat of a catastrophe in all 254 Texas counties, the statement from the White House said. Late Sunday, ERCOT set a new winter peak demand record Sunday, reaching 69,155 megawatts, it tweeted. 
ERCOT set a new winter peak demand record this evening, reaching 69,155 megawatts between 6 and 7 p.m. This is more than 3,200 megawatts higher than the previous winter peak set back in January 2018. Thanks to everyone who has been conserving today. We appreciate it. Hashtag conserve. Hashtag save energy. So, yup, yup. Looks like we got some cold times, at least for another day through the end of the weekend. We'll see if we have more snow tonight. I think that would be something. In another story, Maryland becomes first state to tax online advertising after Democrat-led assembly overrides Hogan. This from Just the News. The Maryland-led Democrat legislator has cast a final vote that will make Maryland the first United States state um, to tax online advertising, overriding a veto by GOP Governor Larry Hogan. Marylander, Marylander, uh, for tax fairness, opposed the vote. Saying State Senate President Bill Ferguson has managed to do what no other Senate president has done, raise taxes and cost on Maryland in the middle of worldwide pandemic. The tax will range from 2.5% to 10%, according to DCist.com. Hogan said he vetoed the measure over concerns that big tech companies like Facebook and Google would pass off the tax increase to small businesses. However, Maryland Democrats are expected to vote this week to prevent big tech from passing off that cost, an estimated $250 million. So there you see Democrats in office already and they are raising taxes. Hopefully they don't bring that one down here to the great state of Texas. And welcome back, Parlor. For those of you who may be familiar with the social app Parlor, um, as many of us know, Parlor is an app that supports free speech that came under attack by Google and Apple um, for having been an app that uh, housed those who incited violence during the uh, 2021 electoral count day insurrection false flag. Um, and so Parler was, uh, has been out of the, has, has seemingly been canceled. It would seem, I know I have a Parler account. I haven't been on Parler since it's been shut, but, uh, Parler resumed social media app after securing new computer servers. This article by John Solomon, Parler, the upstart social media platform silenced last month by big tech censorship said Monday, it is resuming operations under new leadership. And with new computer servers, Parler moved to a new computer server farm and the 20 million users on the platform when Amazon Web Services shut off the social media platform on January 11th um, and can begin using their old app logins on Monday, intern CEO Mark Meckler told Just the News. Some existing users were already live on Monday morning and the rest should have access by midday after the new servers propagated across the internet. New users should be able to sign up for the service within a week or so, Meckler said. We are off to we are off of the big tech platform so that we can consider ourselves safe and secure for the future, Meckler said in an interview. Meckler said the platform is using artificial intelligence and human editors to police for illegal speech that violates its service agreement, but otherwise is remaining true to its free speech, no censorship roots. 
Dan Bongino, a prominent parlor user and shareholder, was one of the first to get back online, posting stories Monday morning about businesses fleeing New York and Amazon workers moving toward unionization in Alabama. Meckler is an attorney, entrepreneur, and free speech advocate who created two large conservative grassroots organizations, the Tea Parter Patriots and the Convention of States. He was appointed interim CEO to help guide Parler through its relaunch and search for a new pattern, a new permanent chief executive. Okay, so I guess if you have your Parler app still on your phones, then go ahead and get back on Parler and have fun. I, I can't remember if President Trump ever got on Parler. For some reason, I don't think he did. But allegedly, he is now on Gap. Now, finally, wrapping up today, this session's stories. Uh, this one's an interesting one. For those of you who grew up around the uh, time period that I did as a, a kid in the 90s, pretty much. Blue's Clues. Oh, everyone remembers Blue's Clues. I barely remember it um, because I did never watch it. Um, I think I was in that era where I was just a little too old for it but not young enough to enjoy other cartoons. Blue's Clues peddles gender identity propaganda to preschoolers. Blue's Clues. Y'all remember, uh, who was the name of the guy on Blue's Clues? I think, um, I think, I think they said he might've, he might've been a pedophile. Anyways, P is full of pride. Or so, a new Blue's Clues, a long-running educational cartoon show on Nick Jr. for kids aged 3 to 5, declared in a new alphabet song. The song featured a screen filled with various LGBT-adjacent pride flags with Blue, the helpful puppy, smiling next to the letter P, filled with the new LGBT flag, complete with black, brown, and trans stripes. Sammy Chan, an animator for Nick Jr., tweeted out in excitement. The first thing that came to my mind was P is for pride when I got the script. I am so excited that all of y'all are as happy as I am. I also did all the letters and graphics for the episode to be as inclusive as possible for Black History Month. Hashtag pride. Hashtag Blues Clues. Hashtag LGBTQIANMNOPQRSYXDW1234 to the fifth power. Chen posted this over a comment declaring Blue says LGBT rights. And LGBTQ Nation gushed over the display declaring it's never too early for kids to learn to be proud just for being themselves. However, what a three to five-year-old is supposed to see in themselves reflected in these flags is uncertain. The image contains eight separate LGBT-adjacent flags representing pansexuals, lesbians, bisexuals, asexuals, gender-fluid, transgender, non-binary, and intersex identities. It's not clear if the creator just grabbed a random assortment or put any real thought into the selection, but absolutely none of them make sense for this particular age group. I had to Google them myself to figure out which was which, and I am certain parents of curious children did too. How do you explain to a three to five year old child they must have pride in themselves as someone with no sexuality at all, or possibly someone with all sexualities combined? Is your preschooler non-binary or gender fluid? Perhaps your four-year-old son could be a transgender lesbian and just doesn't know it yet. Thank goodness for this educational material. 
Searching for Blue's Clues on Twitter now reveals a cornucopia of Tumblr-style fan art of Blue, the puppy who helps educate your child, frolicking with all manner of LGBT pride symbolism, with a wide array of Blue, who is a girl, with her own girlfriend, another character on the show named Magenta, who is pink, who wears a trans pride hair bow, while Blue wears a demisexual pride bracelet. Demisexual, if you don't know, means you're only sexually attracted to people you're emotionally bonded with. Certainly a concept important for a preschool kid to understand. One commenter celebrated, Let me contribute to hashtag Blue's Clues tag. Blue's Clues was my childhood, and I am so proud of the LGBTQ plus NMNOP 123 to the 10th power inclusion in that recent alphabet song, Rainbow Flag. Also, Blue and Magenta are lesbians. You can't change my mind. Hashtag pride. Featuring the two puppies with gay rights in rainbow letters above them, it seems pretty obvious that similar to My Little Pony, young adults have decided the cartoon is their own, turning it into an adult expression of personal identity. Once again, adults are the ones making decisions about what should matter to children based on their own insecurities and longing for personal validation. They have taken an innocent representation of childhood curiosity and learning and deformed it into a vessel for all their own narcissistic obsessions with gender and sexuality. Under the guise of inclusion and inspiring acceptance, they alienate the only audience that should matter. The creator's first thought was LGBT pride, which tells you her focus is on activism and not education. There is a valid argument for including same-sex parents in children's cartoons as background characters or perhaps even connected to the main character. This allows children to see the normalcy of what they'll actually experience in regular life. It doesn't need to be a storyline itself or explained. Inclusion would mean representing common families in the daily activity of the child characters. But why introduce children to a series of adult sexual and gender identity concepts with bright colors and cheerful animations? The only purpose is indoctrination, forcing them to be exposed to ideas only important to a small but aggressively evangelical minority who believes they are morally obligated to do so. Pausing the article, if I may so say so, it only takes 3% of a population to start a revolution. And I'm sure while this little population is greater than 3%, as the article states, they are aggressively evangelical, but they are a minority and they do control a lot of Hollywood. Back to the article. While I am sure we will see a stream of mocking and shaming articles declaring conservatives outraged over an innocent little pup just sharing LGBT inclusions with kids, it should be noted that rational and reasonable adults should absolutely find this to be a line crossed. An activist shouldn't have this much influence over what should be a pretty and neutral, safe cartoon. Does the voice of the parent matter at all? Or does Nickelodeon believe they are charged with educating your child on whatever any given left-wing activist thinks is important. Preschoolers don't need to be engaged in LGBT pride or gay rights or associating brightly colored flags with complex sexual and gender concepts. Kids shows shouldn't be platforms for political and social activism at all. Point blank period. That's some fat to chew on, ladies and gentlemen, and even though I am a proud gay man, I'm not going to chew on it with you at this time, but 
so be it to say, I totally do agree that uh, we should not be teaching these types of things to children at such a young age. They should be learning their one, two, threes and their ABCs. They should be learning they can't hammer a square into a circle peg. Not whether or not they've made their decision on whether they're going to be a girl or a boy. Well, for this edition of the C Report, this is Mr. C signing out. I hope you guys had a good one, and I hope you guys continue to have a good one. Visit us at qnaholespodcast.com, and don't forget, we have uh, the Q&A Holes News Break coming up, as well as the, uh, I was going to say, as well as The Walking Dead, but that's actually the show on the E6W Network that comes out. It's The Dead Truth, with your host, Jimmy the man and uh, we will see you guys on the next edition of the sea report have a good one Something is haunting the town. Adam Longoria has gone missing, and his sister claims she's been seeing a bad man in the shadows. Jesse Bachman confronts a terror that is haunting the town of Suval, but will he be able to stop a pure evil that wants him dead? Get the chilling new novella by Michael Aaron Cassidis, author of The Distance to the End. A Trick of the Eyes, a stunning new work of horror that is keeping readers turning the page. Get A Trick of the Eyes anywhere books are sold, online or in stores, ask for it by name. A Trick of the Eyes by Michael Aaron Casares.